newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on the recent news media events of the uh, of the day, and we're very happy to have you with us. I'm Rex Smith here in the studio with Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and Dr. Alan Shartuck. We are your media projectors this week, and we welcome you. Are you all doing okay here? Oh, yeah. So far. I uh, can't answer that question mm. because of HIPAA. <laughs> <laughs> you know. By the way, there's a lot of misunderstanding about HIPAA. Everybody always says, oh, you can't talk about somebody's medical condition because of HIPAA. That is not what the law says. HIPAA does not restrict people from talking about a person's medical ability. It says that a hospital can't release confidential health data. Yeah, you can talk about your own health. Just another sign of the craziness of that Marjorie Taylor who said flat out, oh, I can't answer that question because of HIPAA. So it's just nuts. She makes it up as she goes along. As they all do. Which comes to the question of what to do about that. Margaret Sullivan, the extraordinary media columnist of the Washington Post, former editor of the Buffalo News, wrote a column this week that's gotten some attention in media circles because she is saying Washington journalists have to stop covering politics as usual because our democracy is under attack. Now, we've talked about this somewhat in this program, but she quotes from a 2012 book by Norman Ornstein and Thomas Mann from the uh, American Enterprise Institute. And they said, we understand the values of mainstream journalists, including the effort to report both sides of a story, but a balanced treatment of an unbalanced phenomenon distorts reality. Isn't that an interesting phrase? And so the question is, what should we do as journalists? Actually, why don't we start with Rosemary today? What should we do as journalists in the face of this terrible onslaught of untruth? Yeah, I've read the column. I agree she is brilliant. I don't think she really has a great idea in this column. She says journalists should be um, patriotic. I think journalists need to be what they always have been, truth seekers and tell the story plainly, as I said. I think she is wrong to think that you cover Republicans in a different way because they have an anti-democratic slant right now. You report that slant, but they still represent nearly 50% of the people in the country, and they deserve coverage that's objective and full. And I don't know how you do that and take her attitude that I have to be patriotic. I don't like what they're doing, so therefore I'm not going to report it. I don't know. That's what she said. Ira, do you have any solution? Well, I, I don't know if she reached this. I've heard this so many times, including on this program, and I have been historically very resistant to it. But I start to feel myself coming around, and that is we as journalists, particularly those of us who have been around a long time, were trained to be objective, to get both sides mm -hmm. of the story 
And if you get a point of view from one side, make sure you get the point of view from the other side. And increasingly, we're hearing cries that, as Alan used to say, what's the other side of the Holocaust? And do we need to be reporting that? And I am slowly beginning to feel like every time there's a story on the insurrection or whatever story you want to pull that's similar, we weaken, not strengthen the story when we allow the other side, quote unquote, to have their say when the other side is spewing nonsense and you know that it's nonsense. And I, as I say, I'm starting to turn around, but I still have a tough time not wanting to be the objective journalist that I grew up being. Yeah. So you were quoting Alan Shartok, and now here he is himself. No, the idea is I took a little bit of a different perspective. I'm glad you chose this column, Rex, first of all. But here it comes. As a person who is responsible for writing two columns, at least two columns a week, I had a feeling she needed something to write about, and, and, she, <laughs> and she found it. Um, I thought it was a little too obscure Very for me. vague. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I didn't really understand it. I know Rex has always been committed to her as a heroine. <laughs> Another upstate and, editor, and, you know, I'd and, love and, to see and, them rise. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we're going to do what we do. We're not going to change our ways, nor should we. And there are some people who should. Tucker Carlson, maybe he should change his ways, some others. But I think Basically, most journalists do an honest job, and we want them to continue to do that. I, I agree with Rosemary on this. I think that part of her idea, which she took from someone else, was to have a democracy beat. Yeah. And I do like that. I mean, to me, the story is what Ira was talking about, not cover it or cover it, but the fact that they're telling such outrageous lies, that they're using truth as some sort of a power. We're going to tell you something you know isn't true because you saw it happen a different way. Mm-hmm. But do you believe us? You have to believe us if you like truck. That's an amazing story. It's an amazing tale of like public propaganda and brainwashing. And we ought to be covering that. So I like that part of it, cover democracy and how it's under attack. But to not cover it, to say that Republicans don't deserve coverage anymore because we don't like a man, I think that's really dangerous. Well, how do you do it other than in, in opinion columns? You know, for example, we have Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from the North Country of New York State. Who... You have her. I'm not going to claim her. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Churchill, the fine Times Union columnist, really takes her to task for her claim that Nancy Pelosi is responsible yes, for the January 6th attack, Can which you is, imagine? of course, balderdash, to put it nicely. Boo-shoo. <laughs> we could probably come up with lots of adjectives for it, but that's an opinion piece. And if you are the reporter covering that for the Associated Press, you can, of course, put into your piece the facts after you state what she says, but you then still have people saying, well, this is what she says and this is the other side. So it becomes he said, she said. It becomes both sideism, even in pointing out the flaw of it. Where do we stand? Up? And it's not just her. She's the latest example. We're giving oxygen to this ridiculous point of view by sending a reporter or a TV crew out or a radio crew out to cover her comments. Now, again, the old me would say, well, she's a congresswoman and she deserves to be heard and et cetera, et cetera. And the other part of me is beginning to say, we're just not going to waste our time. What was the phrase that took off when Trump ran, which was earned media versus free media or paid media? 
you know, you, by giving him all of this free and uh, giving her all of this free time to spew nonsense, are we doing ourselves and our listener, listeners and readers and viewers a disservice by wasting their time when we know it's crap? You know, we saw a lot of this as, for example, the major media has been again and again putting adjectives before some of their claims, Trump and others, and saying untrue. That is not true. Now, that is not a columnist. That's the news yeah. people doing that. You're right. And all of the news now, you'll see completely without evidence, yeah. he said that, or without right. any supporting evidence, he said that. And I mean, if you ignore her, Ira, then you are not telling readers that an elected congresswoman is spewing balderdash. That is the story. And that can be told objectively by saying, this is what she said. This is, in fact, the power that Nancy Pelosi has. And it comes nowhere close to being in control of the Capitol Police. And as Chris did, his story is opinion, but it's definitely fact-based. He said, here are the other people who support Nancy Pelosi's view on the Capitol Police. This is the law. This is the way it works. It's crazy for them to be blaming her. Our media ecosystem, though, doesn't really accommodate the fact that so many people are not going to be reading the Chris Churchill column, are not going to be hearing the straightforward network news coverage or the responsible media because the right-wing networks are basically soft-peddling the Capitol attack. You know, OAN, Newsmax, these apparently little-watched right-wing news channels, but they are watched by that significant little chunk of hard-right people who basically now control the Republican Party. Far be it from me to open up a can of worms between Rosemary and I, but 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 we but we know that we just had these hearings. Rosemary said, I think, understandably, before the hearings, oh, it's just going to be you know the same old same old. And I was saying, no, it's very important for just what you said, Rex, that the American people have a good, strong look in. I still think I was right. I think Rosemary still thinks she was right. Nevertheless, it was a very very powerful. And it really led a lot of Americans who might not have seen it to understand exactly what was going on. You know, Americans get get information in more ways than just from established media. And it's what people are talking about. It's what their friends talk about that really has the most influence on them. So if those hearings made some people think, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, that was horrible. What happened to that man? Okay, good. But I don't think that you gain anything by us deciding we're not going to cover this because we don't like the image it projects to people who see it. What if the media had decided like I did that, oh, this is just a waste of time. We're not going to show it. That would have been wrong. We're lucky to have the plethora of platforms that we do. It was one of the most powerful times I have ever seen on TV as I watched those four officers talk about what they had gone through. And frankly, I kept saying to myself, I didn't know that. I didn't know Did you change your mind, Rosemary, after I I didn't. I I agree that it was extremely powerful and it moved me, but I'm the audience that is going to be open to that. I'm a liberal. I'm a Democrat. It's not going to have the same effect. And I thought of the woman who testified against Brett Kavanaugh. Also riveting, searing. She was totally honest. She was amazing. And she was immediately on done by Brett Kavanaugh yelling and talking about beer. So, I mean, the media has to be there to tell the whole story. So, yeah, I wish that Nancy Pelosi were not wasting time on this. I'd rather see Merrick oh, Garland get the I platform and the attention. Waste, it's but not yeah, a waste you, of time, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, from a pragmatic stance, I see why she's doing it. You need to hammer it again and again if you're Nancy Pelosi's political advisor. Correct. You need to keep this in front of the American people until it just kind of seeps in. My that, point on the hearings, by the way, that's exactly yeah, my point. Yeah, that the last president, unlike any 
president in history tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power, and we did not have a peaceful transfer of power in this not. country last time. We did not for the first time in our history. And that is significant to note. And the Republican Party is lined up behind him. So we need to say that over and over again. But that is really biased reporting, I guess. But it's true when truth <laughs> reflects bias. But, you know, the name of this show is The Media Project. And we think about, you know, what all of you have done and, and what reporters do and editors do. But we don't always think enough about what the people who are listening, the people who are buying the product one way or another, intellectually and otherwise, are thinking. And that's why I couldn't agree with you more, Rex, that the replication is so important that, you know, you really have to keep telling people what it is that is happening. If you don't do it over and over again, you're in trouble. That's why I think I disagree with Rosemary on this point. Well, I mean, you also know that repetition drives that audience insane. I'll point out 9-11, where, we, where people were crying at us to stop showing those towers coming down. We see it. We don't want to see anymore. You turn off people with that. So if you want to do propaganda, make people think the way you do, I'm not sure repetition is the best way. By the, by the way, Rosemary, I have to disagree with you here because I think the reason that they kept playing it again and again and again is that editors, like the people who are sitting around this room and other people, had made the decision, this is what they want, and this is what's going to attract people and eyeballs and money to our product. Well, let's not forget, though, that the the video of the towers falling that was repeated and repeated on TV, right. I don't think there was an equivalent to that in, in print or on the Internet. Either. And, and let's remember where the print is right now compared to the TV. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed, let's do. <laughs> I mean, there's a remarkable chart out today, by the way, that just shows the advertising and circulation revenue of the newspaper industry. For the first time last year, newspapers made more money from circulation than from advertising. Scary. And they didn't make a lot of money from circulation. Yeah, you have to have seen newspaper P&L's profit and loss statements yep. to know how absolutely shocking it is that circulation revenue is now ahead of advertising. I can't fathom it. I mean, historically, it was about a third to two-thirds in most newspapers, the third being circulation. There also wasn't good news for public radio in this report either, Oof. that for the first time, it's there's been a big drop in audience on AM and FM. And mostly they think this is due to people not being in their cars as much last year. Right. But does that have anything to do with the revenue for print? Because businesses were shutting down. They were not advertising last year. Is this the, is this the COVID effect we're seeing rather than some big shift in media use? And it's the president, Rosemary, of, 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 of a... Um, major 28 29 depending on how you're counting radio station i can tell you that um our revenue from underwriting some people would call it advertising but that's not true from underwriting has never been greater people just want to be on i don't know if it's the demographics that the people who are listening to public radio or in a different category than everybody else i used to be on tv i was telling ira before and people would come up to me in the street and they would say Mr. Television Man, Mr. Television Man. <laughs> yes. And then I would say to somebody at a cocktail party in Great Barrington, I'm on TV, they, and they would say, you are? Uh, <laughs> but I hear you all the time on public radio, so there's uh -huh. a real demographic split. Demographic split between your crowd and the uh, Berkshires and the on-the-street people in <laughs> Albany. Let me, yeah. let me just say I, how I resent your snotty, <laughs> condescending <laughs> thing. <laughs> just, but to Rosemary's point, you, 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 even, even this station the, had to have suffered somewhat 
by the pandemic and the lack of openings and of arts and and galleries yeah, and I mean that's business that would be really a local advertising buy that was not there because they weren't open had yeah. to hurt. I don't think there's any good news for print. I really don't. Oh, no. I said for a long no. time they're dead. But I think this report is a little suspect because of COVID that changed everything. Mm-hmm. It's well, my question to you, year. Rosemary, is do they deserve to be dead? No, they do not. Print does still the serious journalism in this country, in this world, is done by print journalists. And they may be adapting to new platform, but they are print in training and in experience and in talent. You know, so it's they are. Yo, know, that's fair. But I have watched over the years when we here at Public Radio tried to get somebody from a print medium on, for the most part, they eschewed it because why should they give away what they were doing? Eschewed. This man has a PhD. It's a great word. I mean, they kept their jaw. So, and now, every, with one exception, and that's personal, everybody wants their people on WAMC. There's a cross-promotion that benefits exactly. for the radio station and it benefits the, the newspaper. But they didn't know it in the old days. In the old days, we looked down on radio, generally speaking, because we knew that radio was... They just copied us, they, they, they were stealing our stuff. <laughs> they picked up our newspaper they and was, read what we you wrote. Could hear Absolutely. The, you could hear the pages of I'm the glad you're all agreeing with each other. You well, it's people. true. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. spend, spend all day. We're getting what is that nasty. sign that David just seen? <laughs> I know. That's a bad sign there. Here's the difficulty. That, that, that we all have to recognize both terrestrial radio, that is, where people getting their, you know, the signals that come from the antenna up there, and print are declining. Terrestrial radio listenership in 2020 declined while online audio has grown. You know, podcasts are going big. Podcasts now make up more revenue for NPR than all their radio shows. So this is the direction people are going. It is the devices in their pockets, the devices on their desktops, and increasingly people are using podcasts even as they drive. My son has buds in his ears all the time. That's yeah. how he parents. He keeps the buds in his ears. It keeps them calm and he's learning. Or he's spewing information that you cannot believe. Where do and people, it comes not from books, Where do but people from find the time? I, you know, you, yeah. I try to follow a handful of podcasts. Everybody's streaming, it seems, so you, can, you can't be listening to a podcast and watching a, a series on uh, Netflix at the same time, we're all listening to ourselves on NPR. I mean, where do you, where does and we and this group anyway reads the New York Times and the Times Union every day? Where is the time? Where are we all finding the time to do it? Ira, I don't want you to feel bad about what I'm about to say because it's coming from an 80 year old. Yes. And uh, now, wow. Nevertheless, um, talk about your social life. Nevertheless, Ira, we're old now. Oh yes. And uh, we have a different view on what's important. Rosemary's kid uh, has buds in his ears, yeah. and I'm sitting here and saying, what's a bud? Oh. Yeah, but I, I would argue that Mr. 80-year-old Alan and Mr. 73-year-old Ira have more time than, than the average people, and the, when your son is doing it, and he's not in his 70s, I'm gathering. He, when he exercises, he has it. When he's making dinner, when he's supposed to be with the kids, he's with the kids, and he's multitasking, listening to a podcast. And we're learning, because yeah. here at Public Radio, we're doing podcasts all over the place. <laughs> And well, putting them out yeah, there. because, well, the great thing about radio is you can turn right. your shows into podcasts. Right. This program is available as a podcast. Uh, simply go to wamc.org and download us. You can take us Nicely with you anytime. done, Rick. Be with us anywhere. Absolutely. If you don't Was know, by the way. Was that underwriting or a commercial? <laughs>
This is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. I'm Rex Smith. She's Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and Alan Shartok. By the way, I just interrupt here because we do have a little note from a listener, J.D. from Pattersonville. From Pattersonville, I say. Donde esta? Okay. And uh, <laughs> I say. it says Rex et al. Hi, Al. Um, <laughs> it says, Rex, I would like to hear the panel's thoughts on the numerous pro-space travel opinion pieces published in the recent past by the Washington Post in light of Bezos' ownership of the Post. Hmm. Well, here is a guy who I think did a wonderful thing, and he bought the Washington Post, and he kept it alive. And I think he's an extraordinary person. Nevertheless, you know, anything that a guy like that does is going to be seen as self-serving because he owns so much. I believe he's either the richest or second richest man in America or in the world. In the world. Yeah, I wish I had that much money. You could buy a newspaper, go into space, you know. <laughs> that would be awesome. I think the editorial is fine so long as it is disclosed each and every time that Bezos owns it so that you can judge whether or not they're being fair. I think there's uh, editorial arguments on both sides, whether a space mm. exploration ought to be private or in the hands of government and definitely worth editorial uh, discussion. But I don't think, I do not believe that Jeff Bezos has a hand in the post decision making. I really don't. Seem so. no, I, I was going to say the same thing. I've not read anything that suggests that. And I, th and I think it's a fine for listeners, readers, viewers to be skeptical about that. That's a perfectly understandable and healthy impulse. But every indication is contrary to the pattern of Rupert Murdoch, who by all accounts, by thoughtful reporting, mm. does step right in on editorial decision-making at his newspapers, perhaps in a different way with The Wall Street Journal. But other than that, it seems that Jeff Bezos has not, in fact, stepped in and done anything with the Washington Post. Not well, you, the tradition of William Randolph Hearst. Right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> You're your mentor, Rex. My mentor. Um, uh, he so, was dead the year that I was born. Still, by the way. it floats through the air. I did, I did want to say that NPR constantly says, is an underwriter on uh, NPR, NPR, and we say the same thing as much as we can, that this is an underwriter. Whether it really gets you off the hook, I've often wondered. In other words, if you just by disclosing it, do you really change the fact that you're still open to some kind of a push? So I don't know the answer to that, but I know that we do it. How does that work? In other words, does the underwriting department send a list regularly to the newsroom so that they can decide? I, I'm here to tell you, Ira, I have no you're idea. You're not sure. <laughs> I mean, because, again, historically, and, and my history seems to have passed me by, on a newspaper newsroom, they would not get any discussion with the advertising department, and the only way they'd know who their advertisers were was when they'd see them in the newspaper. Yes, we have an incontrovertible rule here, an iron rule, that the people who sell the underwriting do not have any say in what's right. on our air. They used to be called the wall, but the that wall. has a new meaning these right. days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wall the governor of Texas is going to build instead of rebuilding the uh, power infrastructure down there. That was an editorial opinion. Uh, you know, governor Abbott of Texas, you know, is building, he's yes. taken up where Donald Trump left off. That's Thank because God. the governor Abbott of Texas is showing all kinds of mojo, if that's the right word, trying to say, okay, if Trump doesn't run, I'm going to be up there and I'm going to be running. So oh. you see that. No so should the media just ignore that? Now we go there back to, go. is that anti-democratic so it doesn't fit Margaret's definition? We don't cover it? Well, it's not untruthful. I don't think she's saying don't cover what's happening. She's saying when there is an anti-democratic stance in what somebody says, point it out. 
I think I think that's just different. He's just exercising his authority to use money the way he wants to. You would cover that, right? Like Bezos. Right. What do you What do you think about this? Twitter took Trump off their platform and thus theoretically cut his availability significantly. So now Trump has found a different way to get his message out. puts out these press releases from the office of the forty fifth president, etc. And they're showing up on Twitter because others, including people who might not necessarily agree with Trump, are reposting. Them. But they are getting much less. I mean, I, I, it's much less attention uh, than he I don't know. The, for yesterday, as we speak, they reached a deal on infrastructure, and within a couple of hours, there's Trump on Twitter because somebody reposted his comment denouncing the deal, and the Republicans are not patriots if they vote for the deal. Mm. So I don't even sure what the question is other than if the mainstream media has a hand in posting these things or reposting them, should they be? Oh, I see. That, that, yeah. that was a big issue in the 2016 election where journalists were much bigger consumers of Twitter than the general population. But it was a quick and easy story to take Trump feeds to Twitter and turn those into stories, right. thus giving them much wider play than they would have had otherwise. Are we still doing that is about what a, you're asking? Yeah, about every five years on this program, and we're going into our 100th anniversary soon. <laughs> um, um, I have mentioned a book by Delmer C. Dunn. Delmer C. Dunn, not Delmer C. Dunn. Yeah, that guy, <laughs> Delmer C. Dunn, uh, who wrote on politicians and the press. Uh, uh, and, you know, one of the categories that demanded press coverage, and I put this to you, has always been ease of coverage. So, no. uh, pet stories. That's why newspapers or just were filled with them. Press releases, you know, with press all releases. due respect to even this organization, a lot of news originates with press releases from politicians and government officials. And uh, it's very easy for a reporter to simply write that up and say, okay, I've done my job. I've produced a story this morning. Actually, an hour after we finish here, I'm hopping on a train to go down to an event where I'm going to be moderating a, a, a live online presentation honoring a great reporter, a great journalist, even older than you are, Alan, in my 94-year-old great mentor, Melvin Mencher, the investigative oh, reporting wow. professor at Columbia, has come out with a memoir. And so we're going to do this oh, live wow. thing honoring Mel Mencher. And Mencher used to say, getting the facts straight is the basic hack minimum. Journalism begins after that. So just reporting what happened, he would say, yeah, that's, that's no big deal. Everybody has got to be able to do that. Basic hack minimum. What real journalism is begins there and carries it further. So, you know, that was very inspirational. And so to your point, Alan, about Delmar C. Dunn. Yeah. Ease, I think Mencher would echo that. He would say, yeah, just picking up what's easy to get and report. Well, I think that's right. I it. think that's what he was trying to say. He interviewed all these reporters and all these politicians, and he said, what is it that gets you into the paper? And this idea of ease of coverage became... Now, to bring this back to the beginning, Melcher, I didn't know him personally, but his inspiration to me was, like Margaret Sullivan, business is the key to our coverage, and we're not looking at it. We have to change. Media has to change its view. We're covering institutions of power over people. It's easier to cover government yeah. than business. And he said, that's where the power is. We yeah. have to cover corporations. That's genius, and it's what the media should be doing rather than what it is. And that's why they've all got PR people, both the politicians and the corporations, in order to influence the way they're being covered. And to the extent that PR is getting into newspapers and on the air more so than it used to, if that's in fact true, it's again another indication of reduced staff and, yeah. and pressing on time and 
reporters having to file three or four stories a day. Only here's an easy one. Ah, alas. Okay, I hate to end on a sad note, but that's the truth of the matter. The Media Project, that is Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith, with a special gratitude to the producer of this program, David Gustina. Speedy Gustina. For listening to us on The Media Project. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.